Hello everyone, I'm Zola Zengit. Welcome to COVID Stuck Abroad, the podcast where I get to chat with South Africans who are living abroad in 2020 when COVID-19 changed the world as we know it. This podcast aims to tell the personal accounts of guests featured and does not claim to offer verified facts. To get verified information about COVID-19 and related information, please refer to the official World Health Organization website, as well as the official South African government website. Please see the show notes for links. It must also be stated that COVID stuck abroad will not tolerate xenophobic sentiments. Listeners should recognize that the personal experiences of one individual cannot be viewed as a representation of an entire nation, ethnicity, or culture. Okay, now let's get to today's episode. Hi everyone, today I'm joined by Sinjin Hunter, an investment banking analyst who has been living and working in the United Kingdom since 2016. He's also currently completing his Master's in Finance at the London Business School. Hi, Sinjin. Hey, Zola. How's it going? I'm good, thanks. And you? Good, good, good. How's your morning today? (laughs) I'm on my second cup of coffee, so we're definitely on the way up. (laughs) How's yours going? It's been good. Um, But, you know, it's like a Sunday morning. We're actually recording on Mother's Day. So it's like I was rushing. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was rushing out the house, like, um, giving my grandmother a hug as well as my aunt, so. Oh, I always, I need to call my mom. I always get so confused because Mother's Day here is a different day. Right. When is Mother's Day in the UK? <laughs> a month ago or so. <laughs> but the first year I lived here, it was Mother's Day and I called my mom and I was like, Happy Mother's Day. And she was like, oh my goodness, what do you mean it's Mother's Day? I haven't done anything for your gran. Like, this is so awful, I can't believe it. It's like, (laughs) yeah, that's so awful, I can't believe you forgot. (laughs) And she then called my gran and my gran was like, it's not Mother's Day until May. And so every year I'm trapped because when it's Mother's Day here, I then don't wish my mom because I don't want to confuse the situation, but I don't have the like visual reminders of it's Mother's Day everywhere. So then I forget. Yeah. Yeah. And then people are going to ask you and be like, did you wish your mom happy Mother's Day? And you're going to be like, no. <laughs> I'm going to call her after this. Okay. I'm, call I'm glad this. I reminded you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Actually, just thank you for even like starting off with, you know, the first year that you moved to the UK, because that's my first question. How did you even get to live in London? Yeah. I mean, it, it sort of just fell into place in a lot of ways. So when I was doing my second to last year at UCT. So studying business science, accounting and finance. And then your last year is like your post-grad accounting diploma. So my second to last year, people were talking about um, Deloitte London sort of hiring. And so I'd heard a lot about the program and basically you do what you would do in South Africa in terms of your articles, but you just do it out of the London office. And everyone was, you know, like keen and people were interested. But in order to do that, you needed to have either a British or a UK passport or a European, you know, or you needed to have an ancestral visa, which is like if you had grandparents who are born in the UK, you can get the right to come and move to the UK. And yeah, at the time, I didn't know about the ancestral visa. So (laughs) 
I think at the time I was just totally unaware that it was a thing that it existed. I'd heard about the London program, but I was like, oh yeah, obviously I don't have a British passport. I wouldn't be eligible for that. And a few months later, I was speaking to someone. Um, I wouldn't even say a friend, so it was more like a friend of a friend. And they were saying that they lived in London. And I was like, oh, how did you manage to do that? And he was like, well, I had a grandparent born in the UK, so I could get this visa to go work there. And I was like, wait, I had a grandparent born in the UK. <laughs> And so the more I looked into it, I was like, oh, I'd never known about this growing up. But, you know, it was like, oh, I'd actually be eligible to do this. Oh, my goodness. So it's like you found out that because you had a grandparent who had, who had been born in the UK, you're eligible for what's called. Yeah, the ancestral visa, which ancestral gives visa. you the right to yeah, come and live and work in the UK for five years. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. After which you can apply for permanent residence, which I just got on Wednesday. So yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Congrats. So, thank you. Yeah, it's been a been a bit of a journey. Okay, so how does that visa work? So you apply for the ancestral visa, and then you just get to work under that visa, or do you still have to get a like an employment visa of some sort? No, it's the really nice thing is it's not linked to your job. It's not linked to a specific employer. You can just come and work wherever you want for five years. And it's sort of designed so that if you actually stay here for the five years, like I did, then at the end of the five years, you can apply for indefinite leave to remain, which is permanent residence. Okay. Thank you for that explanation. No. no yeah, no, I actually yeah. thought um, you did go like under like a work visa of some sort. Yeah, a lot of people have to, but because I went as a graduate, they don't really allow companies to sponsor visas for grads. So mm. you sort of have to be, you know, like highly skilled. And I think for graduate jobs, they struggle to prove that you are. And so a lot of people do their articles in South Africa, become a CA, and then, you know, would move to the UK firm or move abroad once you're sort of a qualified person, because then you supposedly have skills <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was a bit of a lucky coincidence because yeah if I hadn't spoken to that person I think to this day I probably wouldn't know that I'd have been able to come so what then after you know a few years of living in the UK made you decide to apply to graduate school so I finished my CA um, in London and I think I felt I started looking for other jobs. So I did my articles in audit, which most people do. And getting to the end of that, I just knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I started applying around and I don't want to get too finance on you, but in South Africa, sort of once you do your CA, it's a very broad program. Mm. And so I think a lot of employers are, you know, willing to, it's almost like, okay, cool. Well, you have a good background in business, so you can do something else. We sort of back you. But in the UK, it's much more like, oh, you did your CA, like you probably want to be an accountant, oh. which I did not want to be. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt like it was so much more restricted in terms of career options and opportunities. And when I was applying, I just felt like I was hitting a bit of a brick wall. And also, it obviously doesn't help that coming from South Africa, you know, um, I felt like I had a very good qualification, you know, UCT is very well regarded. And, you know, one of the best universities in South Africa was when you're in the UK, people are like, I have no idea what UCT is, like a random <laughs> university in Africa. Um, so it, I felt like it was a combination of like, okay, people think I just want to be an accountant. People have no idea 
where I studied or what that means. Mm. And so I just felt totally restricted in terms of really like making traction with a good career change. And I'd done a sort of internal move at Deloitte and I was working in a different team and a capital markets team there. But I wanted to, you know, sort of expand my horizons. I wanted to work outside professional services, sort of be in the thick of things. And so the more I looked around and spoke to people, um, you know, I, I felt like going to business school was a good option just in terms of establishing my CV with some good UK university names on it, um, yeah. picking up on some of the stuff I'd maybe learned in university but was super rusty on because I hadn't done it in a long time and trying to build a professional network. This sounds so cringy as I'm listening to myself saying, but, you know, <laughs> no. all these things help, you know, just having a network when you've moved to a foreign country is always helpful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I decided and to apply. Were you, because that's what I also want to understand, like right now you're studying part-time, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it? So were you always planning to study part-time or did you think you would do it full-time? I'd have loved to have done it full-time, but it's so expensive. I mean, maybe this is also just coming from South Africa, but it's just so expensive. And if I was going to do it full-time, I'd have had to quit work, Mm. you know, sort of support my living costs in London for 12 to 16 months and then paid fees all in in the same go. So I think financially, I just, I couldn't afford to do it full-time. But given that everything, it's been a COVID year, I almost think that it was a blessing in disguise that I wasn't studying (laughs) full-time because I think it would have been so miserable. A good segue. When did you even first hear about coronavirus? I remember reading about it in the FT in sort of January. There was like, "Mm, there's this weird virus in China. And then it's like, oh, Wuhan is sort of shutting down. And, you know, it was then like, okay, well, Wuhan's on total lockdown. And it was still in early January and it just seemed so far away. You know, I think at the time, maybe I was on holiday, um, a bunch of friends from work went skiing and it just seemed like so far removed from everything else. Mm. And I think it took a couple of weeks before it started to go elsewhere in China and it still never really hit us until I think cases in Italy started to spike. And suddenly it was on the agenda and everyone was panicking. Officers started telling people to work from home. And I think it became a bit more real sort of, you know, towards the end of February where I was mm. like, shit, the, sorry, <laughs> where I was like, damn, this could be a, an actual problem. And what was that pivot like to working from home? It was interesting. I think I was at that time, I was already leaving my old job at my employer and I was sort of, you know, within my last month or so. And so, so I you, don't think like, I... Ex- you already had a new job lined up at a different company. Yeah, yeah. So I had a new job lined up at a different company from April. This was sort of towards the end of Feb. I was in my last mm. while at my old employer. And I didn't think it would last that long. I mean, I still had a leaving drinks booked in for um, <laughs> the end of March. <laughs> And it was a bit like, oh, well, this is annoying. It would have been great to spend time in the office with everyone before I change companies. It was totally novel. And I think, you know, I definitely didn't think it would be for the long haul. I didn't have a screen or any other equipment. I was just sort of sitting in my living room. Wait, so and, the yeah. spirit, can I just understand, was it like a lockdown in London or was it just like a company, you know, being safe and asking you to work from home? 
Yeah, it was just the companies. I think they were sort of ahead of the curve on mm. lockdown. And they were just, I think they were asking us to work from home just to be safe. And also because before it was locked on, they wanted to see whether or not all the systems could handle everything, basically. Mm. And at that point, there was a little bit of panic because everything was so unknown. And so people were worried about commuting and going on the tube in rush hour. I mean, in rush hour, you're literally inside someone's armpit. So the concept <laughs> of social distancing is so non-existent. <laughs> and when did you actually go into lockdown? So I still remember it. Boris Johnson must have been towards the middle of March, came mm -hmm. on TV. And Boris Johnson, he's not a he's not a very serious character. You know, he's, <laughs> he's got almost a slightly comic effect to him. And he was just very grave. It was on TV, announced it was going to be in lockdown. It was an initial three-week period. It was all very sort of scary, but also quite novel, you know, in a, mm. in a bit of like a, ooh, you know, isn't this a weird thing to happen to us? You know, I'll tell our kids one day they were in lockdown for three weeks. <laughs> and I didn't think anyone at that for point expected weeks. it would go on for more than three weeks. Yeah. yeah. And for context, I mean, in, in Wuhan, I think they got things, you know, China was super good at getting things under control really quickly. So I think at that point, you know, it had sort of moved from, the east to the west and it seemed mm. like everything was all all fine there so didn't feel like we we're setting ourselves up for the marathon that we're currently setting ourselves up for yeah and i think that's the thing you know it's like even when these lockdowns were happening i, I remember we've been with us you kind of thought okay we'll have the lockdowns and slowly we'll get ready and get out of this and then it's like it's 2021 april um well may now um and we're not talking about preparing for a third wave in sa and it just like seems never it must ending. be so scary as well right yeah but i think even like we spoke earlier and we talked about how at some point you also sort of just like live through the motions you yeah know? like yeah. i remember being much more scared um i don't know if scared is even the right word but like much more grave to use your word about the situation when you know we were first going to go into the first lockdown in south africa whereas a year later more than a year later it's sort of like we're living yeah you definitely just what's the word i'm looking for i mean it's sort of the punch is taken out of it you just get used to it mm. um, overexposure and you're just like well this can't go on forever it's no way to live it's no way to live <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, at this point, you know that your master's is coming up, right? So it's like you're starting a new job, your master's is coming up. How are you seeing your future? Like, how are you preparing like with this uncertainty? Yeah, I don't think I did very well because I was really worried that my new job was going to basically cancel my offer um, uh. because I mean, you know, in February, you started to ramp up. But then in March, we had the huge sell off in the markets here in the UK. So I think it's like, you know, potentially one of the biggest single day, single week mm. drops since maybe the financial crisis or the dot com crash. And I think stocks, you know, the markets went haywire here for a week or two and things lost 30, 35, 40% of their value. There was massive panic. You know, the whole mood was very, very grim. 
no one knew what was happening. It was the first time you're in a lockdown. And I think that concept as well, even though we're really used to it now at the time, it's just totally bizarre, right? Yeah. It's a bit apocalyptic when you see no one. I mean, now you're in a psych lockdown, whatever. But at the time, yeah. it was just really weird. And so my initial worry was that I wasn't going to be able to start work or they'd cancel my offer or, you know, something along those lines. But and that I found really stressful. And, you know, I spoke to the recruit and I spoke to my boss and they're like, don't worry, everything's fine. But I think yeah. <laughs> it's impossible to be consoled in those situations. And masters fell quite a way off because that was in August. And so in March, you're like, well, everything will be fine by August. Nothing will be even remotely different to how it was. But the closer we got to it, yeah, I think, you know, trying to start a new job in lockdown was weird it's quite difficult to get a handle on people, not yeah. meeting anyone in person, um, trying to learn remotely and scheduling all these teams meetings via, you know, Zoom or whatever to try and just learn how to do things. Feeling frustrated sitting in your living room at home, being like, what is going on at work? <laughs> and not really feeling like anything is that real everything feels a bit surreal because you know nothing's physically changed around you I mean you're locked mm. into a different laptop but you're not in a different office you haven't met people um you don't have a good grasp and it was really for the business you know it was a time of like turmoil and I want to say chaos because it wasn't chaos within the business but it was such mm. a crazy time in the markets and everywhere that I think the business was trying to get to grips with COVID and what it would mean. And so I think it was really difficult for them to, you know, bring me on fully, integrate me, teach me, mm -hmm. train me up just while trying to deal with the fallout of COVID. And so I think it took like a good couple of months for me to really get on board and feel like part of the team. But, but yeah, I... the initial panic subsided and yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, it's okay. I was just going to say that, like, by the time you maybe feel onboarded, it's like you now have to start with your studies. And I think that's a part exactly. I'm trying to understand is when did you find out that, you know, you probably wouldn't be going into classes or you'd have to study online as well? Really, like, right up until the very end, it wasn't clear. And it's not the school's fault. It was really the, you know, the government and the situation on the ground was just so uncertain because even in the summer there was still this work from home if you can school should be online if it could and they were they were very much trying to you know give people the option of coming into class because i think it's so important and you know so does the school mm -hmm. but for the first month or so we didn't know right up until a week or two before they would start online and then move towards a hybrid model so, you know, when did that 50... happen? Like the hybrid model? I think in September, so mid to late oh. September. So not too far from when we started. But I think it was the problem is that even when you go to hybrid, when you say, okay, you can have half the class in the room, you know, some people haven't relocated, some people are far away, some yeah. people are living with their parents, people are slow to move back to in person, having been online. So even though the option was there it never really hit it with a bang mm. and then if that happened in mid-september you know by november we were back to another month-long sort of mini lockdown circuit breaker four-week lockdown and then 
that was done in November. And then by December, you know, you're off for Christmas break. So it was really stop, start, stop, start. And like, how do you cope with that? Like with like working, studying during a pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> um, in a lot of ways, it was easier because everything else was sort of canceled around me. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> so <laughs> you're sort of, I didn't feel like I was missing on anything. I was just able to focus on school, focus on work. But at the same time, it's just a bit depressing and bleak because your entire life exists where you see me now, you know, in my living room, <laughs> in this seat, which is really uncomfortable and not made to be sat in for 12 hours a day. Um, so I think I just basically totally disconnected from the reality of everything that was happening around me. And I was like, cool, I'm just going to focus on work. I'm just going to focus on school. Oh. But, you know, the longer you do that, I think the more I just feel like frustrated that I'm just sitting in my living room, you know, you're not really getting a student experience. You're mm. not really getting a work experience in the same way because you don't know your colleagues. I've still never met some of my colleagues. You're yeah. not sort of learning, quote unquote, on the job in person. You're just Zooming people, <laughs> yeah. sending them IMs when you don't understand something. So I think cope, you know, fortunately, I'm very lucky, you know, I wasn't unemployed I didn't have to go on furlough and I really appreciate that I was still able to pick up my studies mm. but I think we sort of moved from like a coping to like just a survival mode like let's just get through this mm. and once we get through it we'll think about you know how it is and how it's impacted us and everything else afterwards. But I mean you really had to then get through a survival mode because you actually got infected with COVID not long after right like, yeah yeah that was yeah that was in october actually i was at, i was at school yesterday in person and someone reminded we were talking about covid and vaccinations and someone reminded me like yeah didn't you try to dial into one of our school calls while you had covid and you just looked <laughs> so sick and we kicked you out of the team meeting and i think what? that sort of describes that yeah survival mentality of just oh, i have to keep soldiering on I think I was, when I had COVID, it was the first seven days, I was just totally knocked out. I have a flatmate, but he, during the pandemic, he moved back to his um, family, sort of, they have a place oh. in the country. So he was staying with his family. So I was here alone with COVID. I didn't leave oh, bed. Um, I had some people nearby who dropped food at my door, but it's just so bleak. And then as I started to emerge from this hibernation stasis, I was trying to pick up the pieces and not you know, fall too far behind at work and school. And so I joined the Zoom meetings like a zombie and I was like, hey guys, I'm here. <laughs> um, it was just one of those funny moments where they're like, yeah, I have no idea what you're doing. Everything will be fine if you don't dial in, but you go into these panic survival modes and it's mm. so hard to disconnect and be like, oh, I just need to get better. Yeah, like you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, were you not worried? Like, did you worry at all at any point that like it might actually, you know, get serious? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the first, it was interesting because the first day I had COVID, got to the afternoon and the day before I'd had a slightly scratchy throat mm -hmm. and then I felt fine. And 
the afternoon had had the scratchy throat, I'd, um, I'd gone into the office that day um, and there weren't loads of people around. There was just one colleague and I got the scratchy throat in the office. So it wasn't even like I had a scratchy throat. I went to work. So I had a scratchy throat while I was in the office in the afternoon. I was like, oh, I must be the aircon in here. And then that night I'd gone out to dinner and we had a short dining. <laughs> so I'd been out to dinner and, you know, had a good time. And then the next day I felt totally fine, no issues. And the next afternoon, I kept thinking I was smelling smoke or salt water. It was a bit of a strange, like, smell in my nose. And it was my um, sort of, like, another dinner I had with a friend. And this is all the, like, yes, let's get out there or find the open. So I went to dinner again. (laughs) And that night, I got home. And that night, I slept so badly. And I was like, oh, I must have eaten something weird. And then I woke up in the morning, and I felt horrendous like I had a really sore throat my goodness felt really exhausted but the day sort of progressed and I started to feel a bit better and I logged on to work for a couple of hours I messaged my boss I was like at four I was like oh, I have to log off early I'm feeling I'm not feeling that hot and he was like ha ha hope it's not COVID and I was like no I don't have any COVID symptoms oh. so I this really sore throat I slept really badly And then, of course, it was full-blown COVID. (laughs) And I think I would have panicked, but I was so so exhausted because I did and I didn't panic also because I didn't have breathing troubles. You know, Mm. I think a lot of people who get really sick have lung issues, and I think that would have freaked me out. You know, not Mm. being able to breathe is probably one of the scariest things you can experience. Yeah. But I had the worst sore throat of my life. Like I've never experienced something like that. And it just meant I couldn't sleep. So I'd have to wake up sort of once an hour my throat would wake me up. And Jeez. then I'd try spray like these, <laughs> these throat sprays. I mean, I think I probably was on 10 times the recommended limit of throat spray, but it was just <laughs> agony. And then I started to get a fever. So you'd wake up with the sore throat and then you transfer and you'd go back to bed and then you'd wake up with the fever. And it was almost, for the first three days, I was almost too sick to panic. So it was just, you know, this being in this like weird loop of feeling absolutely ill and terrible and not panicking because you're just so sick that you don't really think about it. And I mean, you're alone all this time, like in your apartment. Yeah. Yeah. And what does your family say? I mean, like, what does your mom say? I want to say that I didn't tell my mom until a few days after I had a positive test because I didn't want her to worry. Yeah. And as much as I was alone, I guess you, yeah, as much as I was alone, I felt like if I needed to, you know, you could go to hospital or if I really needed to, someone could bring me something. But obviously you're you're so infectious, you're not supposed to see anyone. Mm. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't tell my mom until later because I didn't want her to worry. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Yeah. I think I would worry if like, you know, my child is away in like a foreign country and then they're like really sick and you sort of feel like no one's there to take care of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was there's nothing she could do, so I didn't want to stress her out. Yeah, but also it's like the NHS, is that what you use even when you're in the UK? Well, yeah, it, it is what I use. I mean, the weird thing about COVID is there's just, unless you have to go to hospital, there's just nothing that you yeah. can do. 
Yeah. So, you know, I think I spoke to a doctor and they were like, have lots of paracetamol. And if it's really bad and you've had too much paracetamol, then have ibuprofen. <laughs> so when I hit my like the safe limit of paracetamol, I'd have ibuprofen and it was definitely over a safe limit of throat spray. <laughs> but there's nothing, you know, I mean, the doctor, they, they try to make you feel better, but there's nothing they can do really. So yeah. I think I just meant that if things got really bad, at least you knew you could go to a yeah, know, hospital yeah. and you have coverage and like the NHS yeah. is sort of considered one of the best healthcare systems in the world. So I, I, you know, I would think that would make things a little easier mentally for you. Oh yeah. I mean, if the NHS, I feel like if anything happens to you, that's really bad. Like they're just, they're incredible. Yeah. And I got COVID in October, which, you know, is sort of lucky because it wasn't April or January when the hospitals were, mm-hmm. I think in the UK, we were also really lucky. They never got to the point of being totally overwhelmed. I think we came close, <clears throat> but in October it was sort of a low point for COVID as well. So it didn't feel like, oh, I'm not even going to be able to get a hospital bed or anything like that. So then what made you decide, yeah, I've just like, you know, gone through this hectic year i haven't experienced covid but i'm gonna leave the country and come visit south africa because i think <laughs> when you told me that you came to south africa in december of 2020 i was like oh my gosh were you not worried what? about like i don't know flights borders getting closed or just things happening yeah i mean good question <laughs> in retrospect i should have been i think Basically, I booked my holiday in what I would call like a little sweet spot of optimism because (laughs) in the UK, we were coming out of our little mini lockdown. South Africa had just allowed international travel without the two-week hotel quarantine. In the UK, cases were at like a low. In South Africa, cases were at an absolute low. It had been the worst year Mm -hmm. in which I'd spent just about my entire year in this living room and I think I was my stress wasn't like releasing but I definitely felt like I'd hit peak frustration and I was like all I want to do is change I want to change of scenery Mm -hmm. I want to have you know some fun I just want to like experience anything other than being stuck in my living room at home and I hadn't seen my family in over a year had been, as you say, a really rough year, you know, just busy studying, working, changing jobs, getting sick. It had just been relentless. And I was like, I just want to break. And yeah, when I booked, it really felt like a sweet spot because there was no indication things were going to get worse. It was like, things are getting better. <laughs> <laughs> and so I booked my flights. I think I left here on December 3rd or 4th, whenever the mini lockdown ended. Um got to South Africa and on the night of our arrival, I think Cyril came on for a family meeting and he was like, oh, you know, there's been this weird surge of cases in Nelson Mandela Bay, so we're going to close the beaches in Nelson Mandela Bay. I think it was something along those lines. Yeah. But it, was, it wasn't it was really like the, like, you know, panic stations rising. Um, so it was just small and I was like, oh, you know, this is all going to be fine. And then obviously while I was in South Africa, day after day, things got progressively worse. Yeah. Yeah, I actually even researched and um, they did, the government, I think, made the announcement about like the new variant. It was like December 18th. So it's like you had already been the site for 
a few weeks like did that worry you that like okay they make this announcement you know is it going to affect me trying to get back to the uk yeah absolutely so i think you know, say maybe on the day of my arrival they closed Nelson Mandela bay and then a few days later five or six days later i think they didn't know about the variant but cases were surging and so i think they introduced slightly more restrictions like the uk you mean or no south sorry africa? south africa yeah okay. so i think they increased the curfew by 2 hours and you mm. could still do everything it was, yeah it was just an increase in curfew and i think they closed a couple more beaches or something like that there are all those memes about you know people going to the rivers <laughs> things like that <laughs> um but it wasn't known and then by the 18th there was like okay south african variant much more infectious and that's when i was like oh this can be a problem so but what happens still... like what do you do like uh, yeah i, I mean i don't remember know. when the uk also started making comments about it but i remember you know it was like it's like the government made an announcement about it but the uk was one of the biggest countries to sort of make a commentary about it yeah because i think we were maybe one of the first to basically close travel corridors to south africa i mean it's honestly all a bit of a blur but it felt like you know after this frustrating year i was finally on holiday and then i wasn't even at this point to be honest i wasn't even on holiday i was working remotely for I suppose to work remotely for two and a half weeks up until Christmas, and then oh. go on holiday for you know two weeks. So still working remotely, and every other day it just seemed like things were getting worse and worse. Oh and every goodness. other day it was like this, you know, oh, should I just call it and go back? What's going to happen? And eventually they announced the South African variant. Yeah, around eighteenth December, and I was like, I can just see this tide is going to turn. So I'm gonna. try go back early and then i think on maybe the 22nd or the 23rd they closed all the travel to south africa and the uk and i was like oh, oh. this is going to be a disaster <laughs> um what's your boss saying i mean at this point i think everyone else was on holiday i was probably <laughs> as the newbie in the team i was probably doing all the christmas cover you know people and it, in a way it's worse because everyone from work and all over keeps sending you these messages and news flashes you know like oh south african variant south african variant <laughs> or oh, travel might be cancelled all this so you have you know all these messages coming in every other day which is like yeah the <laughs> things are getting worse and you're like yeah, i'm very aware and then travel got cancelled and it was just two or three days of just being like i've no idea what's going to go on and then eventually i saw that there was a flight via qatar back to the UK on Christmas day. <laughs> so in terms of you know and at this point I was almost thinking should I just stay in South Africa like if I can get a flight on Christmas maybe I could get a flight at the end of my holiday in two weeks time. <laughs> and I didn't want to risk it. My visa was expiring in the UK in um January so I needed to come back and finish my visa application. So was it like the end of the five year period that you're speaking of? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I had to um in January I had to come back and sort of sort that out and do my application. So I was literally I was heartbroken. I was like, oh, I just want to stay. I just want to spend my two weeks in Cape Town. Like <laughs> it's been too much of a year. But I decided to be responsible and so I just took the Christmas flight and came back. <sighs> and then it's sort of, you know, you leave your family on Christmas, which is super miserable, but you come back to this empty flat in the middle of winter from a South African summer oh. and it's like, well, you have 10 days of quarantine. 
Good luck. <laughs> Send it. I'm so sorry. Like... <laughs> no, it's fine. I was, I was, uh, to be fair, I was very bleak at the time. I think I went out, I arrived here and I needed someone to bring me groceries, which is also just crazy because, you know, you arrive at the airport, you see people at the airport, you travel back to your home on the train. And then it's like, okay, well, you can't go to the grocery store. But it's like you're already interacted with so many people. Yeah. <laughs> so I texted someone and it was like, buy me five Christmas puddings and like a massive jug of double cream. I'm just going to eat my pain away. <laughs> um, How would you summarize 2020? <laughs> like... Well, you said I'm not allowed to swear. So I answer <laughs> that question, honestly. But it was not a year for the books. But we survived, you know, every, fortunately, no one I know, you know, lost their lives. Yeah. You know, my family are all safe. So if you think bigger picture, it could have been so much worse. Yeah. But at the same time, I think so many people could say that. And it's so important to still be like, well, that doesn't mean I can't appreciate that it's been a pretty awful, was a pretty awful year for everyone. Would you say then 2021 is going a little better? Just like... In terms of even just like the COVID situation, I mean, you even got vaccinated, right? Yeah, yeah. 2021's definitely been better. It's on the up. I feel like things are going a lot better. Mm. Um, I think this is the sort of, you know, the awkward growing phase of 2021, you know, the teenage years of 2021, where you're still in semi-lockdown you know, you can't travel, you can't eat inside a restaurant, which in the UK, even though it's May, eating outdoors means it's freezing. <laughs> um, and you sort of think things are going to get better. But, you know, you sort of are carrying 14 months of just feeling absolutely frustrated and hoping that summer is going to be good. So I'm, I'm optimistic, I'm optimistic. But, you know, in COVID times, I think it's hard to keep that optimism and you know as they say in england stiff up a lip you know <laughs> yeah okay but i hope everything goes well for you i mean overall it seems like it's pretty going amazing in the sense that you know you are studying at a very good school like you know like one of the best business schools from what i hear and you know you are working and your career still seems to be going the way you wanted to your family is doing well and so i think Overall, I'm sure like things do look good. No, you're right. You're right. You have to, whenever I'm, you know, getting down, I think you just have to remind yourself that big picture, everything's, everything's can be a lot worse and everything's going well. Yeah. But did you get your second shot? Because I know when we spoke no. about, oh, okay. No, not yet. I think sometime in June, that'll be good. That'll be like a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think actually I'm booked in to get my second shot on June 20th. And at the moment, June 21st is the day that like everything opens up in the UK. Um, so even though it's a Monday, I think it could be a good a good day to celebrate. What does that even mean? Everything opens up? I think, well, I don't know, it, just, don't wanna... it feels like everything's open in South Africa. So even though not technically everything is, but like it feels that way so i think you know being in the uk what does that mean when you say june 21st i think you could at that point eat indoors indoor exercise classes technically i think it's the day that you know nightclubs 
the riskiest uh, part of COVID would reopen. But they say that that's the end of social distancing, the end of all restrictions. So TBC, but let's let's hold let's hold thumbs and fingers and toes. Well, I hope so for you and that you have an actual good summer. You know, whatever that Thank means you, for London. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for just like sharing your story so with much, us. Yeah. Absolutely. It was so good to talk to you. And yeah, stay safe. Make stay safe. Get stay healthy. There. Yeah, good to chat to you. Have a great Sunday. Sorry for getting you up so early. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, it's totally cool. It's totally cool. Call your mom. Wish her a happy Mother's Day. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I have to call my mom still too. I don't know why I'm telling you that when I haven't called my own mother. I'll do that as well. As, si- as soon as we hang up, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I can't yeah, forget. Yeah, me too. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Bye, Sinjin. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. You can follow us on Instagram at COVID Stuck Abroad. On Facebook, you can search for CSA to like the page. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at COVIDstuckabroad at gmail.com. Please see show notes for the links. This episode of COVID Stuck Abroad was produced by Zola Zegut with funding from the National Arts Council's Presidential Employment Stimulus Program. The episodes are recorded at Solid Gold Studios.